So I brought something that's fairly subtle <laughs> with me because there is a bit of a, um, I don't know if it's an office pool or it's all of you that weighed in with your opinion on how many of these boxes will I need before I'm done here this morning. Um, but by faith, I am casting aside my burden. There we go, huh? John almost hit you there. But <laughs> um, <coughs> I am so uh, thrilled to be here, and I'm only halfway here. Thank you. Thank you, Steve. Because um, there's one lady that's watching and joining us this morning, and there's a lot more, but I know one, that, and I know where she's se seated. And uh, Debbie, um, there's a seat next to me right here when you get well, and we will be here together. Right? Right? Yeah. So true. And I want to say something to you. Uh, most of you I know, but some of you are new faces to me, and I can't wait to get to know you. Um, and, I, and I really want to say a couple of things that are uh, really important uh, for you to, to know. Uh, this church is not... Steve's church. It's not Pastor Steve's church. This is Jesus' church. And I don't say that to scold or correct anybody. I say that to just gladly and freely tell you that my allegiance belongs to him. And I am so thrilled to be in a room full of people who would say, amen, that's how I live my life, Pastor. I come here because there's phenomenal people here and, um, and because there's great care and there's great refuge uh, in the shelter of Grace Point, uh, that God does great things through. And uh, I'm referring to you all as a shelter. I also want you to know that when I'm not here, I, I couldn't be happier with the, the team. They're amazing. They've done so many amazing things. Yeah. I don't know if this joke will go over at all, but I'm hoping when Debbie's well and everything's back to normal, Debbie and I can resume our ministry from Maui uh, because <laughs> you guys are in great hands here. Uh, John, Michael, Jamie, Jim, Judy. J it's got a J sound to it, doesn't it? Krista. Krista broke the, the, the sequence there. You, got a, you have a middle name like Jane or something? No. Okay. <laughs> so I want you to I want you to know that and y'all I um I know you will quickly give the glory to God and um uh, just as I do. So this morning I want to say to you, good morning church. Good morning. <laughs> I um I knew that would kind of get halfway through my throat, but it's uh I haven't been able to say that in seven weeks, and uh, at least not where you could hear it. Because from my living room or from a hospital room, uh, I've said, good morning, church. And, and I never heard a response like that. So, <laughs> But um, I, I want you to know we miss you. We, we've missed you and we will continue to miss you. Um, I've been asked by so many of you, where, where are things right now? And I want to give you a little quick snapshot. But um, I'm, I'm really excited to share God's word, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump into that fairly soon. I, I, I want it to be known that we are with you and have been for these seven weeks that we've been away, uh, either from uh, a hospital room or from our home. And can I just give great 
kudos to the tech team, Kevin and, and uh, Cliff, and the people you don't see, they're in this room back here. Give it up for them, because they're just, they make it happen. They, they do. Right now, people all over the world are able to connect with what's going on here, and it's a beautiful thing. And, um, and, and, and because of that, we, we've been away, but not, um, we're not uh, uh, disconnected. Um, so since Debbie's diagnosis on June 10th, my amazing wife has been uh, courageously fighting uh, AML, uh, acute myeloid leukemia. I didn't even understand the word. I had no idea. Uh, how quickly I would have a doctorate in in hematology. I um, have learned a great, great deal, as Debbie has as well. And um, for all this time, 33 of those days have been spent in a hospital in uh, Debbie's room. Um, since her uh, first release from those 33 days, she's been home and um, and and resting and regaining the strength she needs for, uh, I, I said for the second half and I was corrected by doctors and said no for the maybe second inning. Uh, it's a long road. This will be a long game and it doesn't, I don't like games like this. So it's a long path um, where Debbie, um, is recovering, uh, regaining strength from extensive chemo infusions that went on 24 hours a day. And uh, that uh, also included two bone marrow biopsies, one that just happened this last Thursday, and we're waiting for results. And uh, those will define the next steps for us, and we will let you know and keep letting you know through uh, Caring Bridge. And so many of you are connected with us deeply there. Um, and then, of course, the, the daily blood draws. Um, I'm, I'm thinking if we want her blood to build, why do you keep taking so much of it? You know, it's like, but that's the path that my Debbie's on. And, a, and as I stand here today, I can tell you that Debbie continues to walk a very treacherous road with the settled certainty absolute security of our Heavenly Father's sovereign and reassuring embrace. It's incredible. Um, when I see a storm coming, uh, we're not like the Midwest where they can see an absolute pitch black sky approaching. They know something instinctively that you better run for cover. It's coming. And there's no guarantee at all that it will miss your, you and its path. Here we kind of just get cloudy and it drizzles and, and then gets clear or stuff. Occasionally we have a big whopper like that. Uh, but Debbie, through a storm like that, right at the beginning of all this, shared uh, these words from Psalm 31. We, we actually just sang them. Um, beautiful words. And can I say, um, speak to the mountains is, uh, is really my theme song. So thank you. Krista did not know that. Um, I just, she, the Holy Spirit told her, let's introduce this song. And uh, I've played it every day for 33 days as I travel back and forth 
to be with Debbie. And I, I play it so loud, I don't know if I'm being honked at, and I don't care. <laughs> I'm, I'm talking to mountains right now on, on G- in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. So these are the words, Psalm 31, 14, and 15. Um, she stood firm on these ever since. They read, I am trusting you, O Lord. You are my God. My future is in your hands. I'm trusting you is where it starts because you are my God. No, no diss on medicine or anything else that comes our way. But I'm trusting you, O God, because you, you, my future ultimately is in your hands. And so Debbie will return to the hospital uh, for a series of these week-long consolidations that begin, it appears, sometime this week. So um, thank you for your incredible prayers, passionate prayers. Um, Thank you for your cards. Thank you for your kindnesses and uh, so much more. So this morning, I want to answer a question that I've been asked a lot. And um, it's, it's actually the backstory of the title that I've given this talk. Okay, I don't know if that's up yet. Yeah, there it is. Uh, the question I was asked is, how you holding up? I was actually asked that by my son, Trevor, early Tuesday morning. I was just waking up at about 5, and um, he was actually just going to bed. He lives in Perth, Australia, 9,210 miles from here, and uh, it was, it was, he was about to knock off for the night there, and we were just getting started on the day here, so I like to tease him and say, hey, how's today going to go for us, you know, and um, he goes, it doesn't work that way, Dad, but anyway, um, and he sent me a text, that's short, how you holding up, Dad, and um <clears throat> His question um, prompted in the moment, I was still kind of foggy, it was early. It prompted me to text him back. But before I did, I had this sense in the moment that this was the sign I was looking for. Uh, Call it the green light that God was giving me that it's okay now to, to come back for what I love to do and to preach and to stand in this pulpit and uh, share with you today what fills my heart as your pastor. I also want you to know that, um, in fact, I responded very quickly to him, and then then my follow-up response was a little more involved. But I said these words, I'm I'm doing well. How you holding up, Dad? And my answer was, I'm doing well. But then I thought, truth be told, uh, so I clarified, well, actually, I've had help. I'm doing well, but I've had help. And so has Debbie. So has the McCracken family. Uh, that's what the rest of my message is all about this morning. It's really where did my and our help come from? And I'm going to explain that very simply. And then how was I helped? say I have I've had help what's that what's that mean and there's so many takeaways here we could be here till noon or later but I'll spare you a little bit here's what I actually wrote my son in the follow-up good morning 
Well, good evening, Trevor. Uh, good to hear from you. Your simple question has a very big answer. I'd say it uh, in most ways, I'm holding up very well. What came into mom's life came into my life as well. I've been with her through it all and would do it again without a moment hesitation. It's been a humbling privilege to be in a hospital room with another person that doesn't want to be there. But um, what a joy. What a, what a privilege. Back to my response to Trevor. We are both... Uh, Super weak at times, yet super strong, thanks to Jesus. Seriously, he is our not-so-secret sauce to get through this, this, this trouble. Um, he said he would give us what we need, didn't he? We know that. Everybody that walks with Jesus knows that. He says, I will, I will supply all of your needs according to the endless supply available in Jesus Christ, says Philippians 4.19. So that's there. And he says he would meet our needs, and he's, he's doing just that, I wrote. Promises that he's made, he's really keeping. Uh, I remember, and I took him on a story I want to take you on. Back when I was in seminary, I was staying for some of those years at my aunt and uncle's house in Whittier, California, Bob and Patty Ladd, my father's sister and her husband. And uh, we called it the Ladd Pad. And a whole bunch of people called that place home over the years. I happened to be privileged to be one of them and probably their favorite. Uh, but anyway, um, my aunt still calls me Stevie Boo, and it's her privilege to do so. Not yours. But anyway, uh, <laughs> Aunt Patty had this feast of a dinner, and after dinner, we're kicking back, many of us seminary students. And uh, I didn't cover all this in my text with Trev. I just alluded to it because he knows the details. But here they are. After dinner, we're talking about, hey, um, you know, kind of the deep stuff that seminary students wonder, how many, how many angels can stand on the end of a pin, you know, that kind of dumb stuff. But... This was this was kind of got serious. We we said, "Hey, what would it take? Can you think of something that you could encounter that would cause you to give up on God?" That's a that's a jolt. Even to say it right now, it's kind of like, "Really? Who thinks like that?" Well, we were seminarians and we were trying to think what is it that could cause us to give up on God? Crazy idea, doesn't it sound that way? It's like, why? The very fact that I had an answer I still remember is embarrassing for me to tell you. It is. I want to say like a friend of mine that inherited a $100 million company overnight. He was asked by college students that were not a friendly audience, hey, dude, what have you lost it all now? That's how they talk to people with neckties and hey man dude what's what what would you do with god then yeah you called him the pilot and you're the co-pilot he really had a learjet but anyway um 
what, what would you do? And my friend killed it. He just knocked it out of the park. He said, well, I want to tell you what I wish I could tell you with certainty. I would walk with God no matter what. Take it all, lose it all. It matters not to me. But he says, I just have to tell you, I'm on a journey, and I'm not quite there yet. I'm holding on a little too tight to honestly make that statement. I thought, I almost kissed him on the lips. I thought, man, bro, you just, that was amazing, and it was true. And it, it won over a pretty skeptical crowd in a secular university. So, um, my, um, my embarrassment um, turned to a disturbance in me. How could I possibly come up with an answer to that question? I wanted to say, I've got nothing. But the truth was, I did. And you're probably all wondering, what was it? What was it? <laughs> and you know, I, I just remember it was something that was incredibly extreme and not likely to happen in this life. I've come close, but it, it hasn't happened yet. Aunt Patty then stopped what she was doing in the kitchen and leaned into the conversation. And she said something that I've never forgotten. It's, it's proving right now to be part of this story because it's part of a guy telling the story. It comes out of 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Would you turn there just for a second? It's uh, just one of a couple of texts I want us to look at in the, in the time we have here this morning. But 2 Corinthians chapter 12 is um, coming right on the heels of the Apostle Paul telling the most wrenching list of mistreatment you would expect a human to be able to talk about in a first-person way. I say, if I ask you right now, tell me the hardest thing you've been through. You, you'd have an item or two or three or ten. His p fills the entire chapter 11. It's, I was beaten and shipwrecked and stoned and in danger of this and that and this and that. And he went on and on and on. And the more he talked, the more you cringe. And then you come to chapter 12. By the way, he's an apostle. His job in this life is to tell people about Jesus. So he finds his way to chapter 12, and there's this disturbance happening in his life. And these are the words that Aunt Patty quoted. They begin in verse 8. He's talking about this disturbance in a way that says, I don't want it to stay. I would rather have it go away. But it's here. In fact, I asked the Lord, verse 8, to remove it from me three times. Most scholars believe three is sort of a number, a, a, a euphemistic number. I begged God. I pleaded with God. I came to him again. I knocked on the door again. I kept asking. It's that kind of persistence. Raise your hand if you've ever persisted that long in any prayer. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. So verse 9 begins with the only part of this section, words from Jesus. Did you catch that? They're actually in red ink in my Bible. After Paul says, take this from me, God answers and says, my grace, watch this now, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power, God's power, is made perfect 
in weakness. New American Standard as in your weakness to make it personal. Paul's response comes next. Therefore, I would gladly boast about my weakness that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I'm well content in my weakness, insults, distresses, persecutions, and difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I'm strong. That's where those words come from, and we quote them a lot. So she said that, and it occurs to me today that I can tell you the Apostle Paul is talking about something like you and I talk about something we don't like and don't want in our lives. He did what I have done. This month. And done plenty before this month. Whenever I face a similar thing like a, he just calls it a thorn in his flesh. Is it fascinating to you too that we don't know what that thorn was? That's the classic God that we, that's, that's more than classic. That's the amazing God that says, I'm not going to tell you what it was. Because if you've never been through it, you're going to kind of close the book and go, oh, I can't relate to that. Only now, everybody's, really, everybody's leaning forward. I see you. Even you at home, you're leaning forward. You're, you're going, whoa, that's true. So whatever this thorn was, God's only words is that single sentence in verse 9. And I'm going to go back to it because there's a very um, small preposition that tells the apostles' secret and mine, and many of yours. Look back at those words. It's the second to the last in God's sentence. It's the word in. My power is made perfect in your weakness. Um, it's that word, and it's, it's simple. You're saying, what's the big deal here? It's easy to miss, and can I just put it in? the threat that, that missing it represents, if you do, you'll miss out on the power. I've done that. I've missed out on the power and tried to persevere times of trouble without him. And it's a, it's a study in uh, desperation at best. It's not a pretty picture. Maybe you know people like that. Maybe you're one of them. You've tried to do it on your own, and it just didn't work out. And then my aunt said this in that gathering after dinner. She says, you know what? His grace, look back at the words of God. His grace is sufficient for you, right? And his power is made perfect in weakness. This is what Annie said. Not if but in. To those of us foolish enough to say, well, you know, if this ever happened, if this ever happened, I'm not sure I would go on with God. I might turn in my God keys. But Auntie's words were, his grace is not sufficient for if. In other words, if you're choking over your answer, would you ever give up on God? And you give detail to your answer that says, well, if this ever happened to one of my children or to, you know, we get personal, don't we? And the Bible's not saying 
that his grace is going to work out there. His grace is something that works in, in our weakness. Um, you'd ask me how I would handle Debbie getting AML. Uh, I would not have liked your question. Back in the spring, we were fixing to go bike riding and take some trips and do some trail riding and cool stuff. You had said, hey, Steve, what if, a, what if a terrible thing got in the way, like, I don't know, cancer? I, wouldn't have not, I would not have liked your question. I said this to Trevor, actually. And, and, and I might have even been offended that you would ask such a question. Where did that come from? That's not nice. But here's the deal. We're in it. She has it. And we're strong because Jesus is going through it with us. That's the status report. So I... I finished with Trevor and said, you know, um, now you know what I'm preaching on Sunday and you're actually the first one to know what I plan to say. So um, I told him I loved him. I love you, Trevor. And then I asked him, how are you holding up? I want to ask you how you holding up. Um, that's an honest description of where my help is coming from. Uh, there's, there's a lot more um, that I could share with you. But I told you there would be a second passage. And it's in the Old Testament. It's one of 11 psalms that are credited to a group called Sons of Korah. And you probably know several of those psalms, but Psalm 46 is where I'm wanting us to turn just for a couple of moments because it's really, really powerful and transferable. This is not just something that I get to tell you has worked um, for us in this season, but I think it's transferable to anybody going through anything hard. Psalm 46. Um, you're probably wondering, these sons of Korah, if you go clear back into the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, you find that they have a not-so-good distant relative. He was the guy that was swallowed up by the earth. Do you remember that story? God caused the earth to open up and swallow him and his whole family because of their evil thing in an early story. Well, apparently they improved the gene pool, <laughs> this family. Uh, they really did. They turned the corner, and, um, and they become known in the Psalms as sons of Korah. So if you're here today and you got a family, distant relative, that didn't do you many favors, uh, God can make something good, can't he? Uh, we're going to sing a song, Beautiful Thing, right after I'm done talking. It's a great song. It's about that truth. You make beautiful things uh, out of the messes of our lives, out of the bad building materials we were given. God can do beautiful things. Can I get another amen? That's just so it. That's the deal. So Psalm 46 um, we do know this about them from the 11 psalms that they 
authored, they were the human authors, that these guys were people that really sought God. They were people who had a deep devotion to God. And, and they present an honest picture of the presence of God amid the pain of life. I don't know anybody that would say, well, that's not a relative, relevant message, Pastor. Are you kidding me? That's every day of our lives, right? There's a pain. There's a problem. There's trouble we just talked about. And this is a very honest picture of this present God in such times. Look at these words. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surges. There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her in this place. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in an uproar. Boy, it's just like reading the headlines. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice and the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. He's pointing back hundreds of years to these, these, these um, patriarchs that would grab the microphone right now and say, that's true, it's been true forever. We sang a song earlier and I whispered to my dad. You probably wondered, what did I whisper? Psalm 37 that says, I have been young and now I am old and I have never seen the righteous forsaken. Amen, Dad. And no comment on the old part. But anyway, uh, my dad's walked with Jesus for like 112 years now. And it's, a, <laughs> it's an unbelievably real relationship. So this God is the Lord Almighty with us, the God of Jacob, way, way back, is our fortress right now. What he's saying here. Look at this. Come and see what the Lord has done. If you're not convinced, come and see the desolations he's brought on the earth. He makes wars to cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, be still and know that I'm this God being described here. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And he repeats again, the Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is the one being described. He is our fortress. So would you write this down if you want to take a, a note that's a keeper? Um, when people are plunged into pain, they seek refuge. That's a normal thing. When you and I are plunged into some kind of pain, we, we seek refuge. Debbie and I sure did. Our family has. Our, uh, many of your stories that I'm part of, I know that that's what we do. Um, for us, it was from the very first moment that this sneaker wave hit us. And, 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 it, and it, in that moment when the diagnosis was given, we cried out to God. And we sought, as he puts it, refuge and strength in our trouble. Now, here's another piece to write down. We found God, as he's described in verse 1 here, we found God to be present and personal 
Wouldn't you know that little preposition showed up here? In trouble. I'm just locked on little words like that these days. He's present. He's powerful as it's described in verse 1. And he is those things in trouble. I don't want you to miss the extensive list of troubles that he's talking about, which are often enormous in size. Each one of them is introduced with the word um, uh, though. For example, um, verse 2 says, Therefore we will not fear though the earth give way. It's a big deal. There's four of them. Two are recorded in New International. New American, if you're reading from that, has all four of them. It reads like this. Therefore, we will not fear though. And by the word though means despite the fact, okay? Though the earth give way and though the mountains fall into the heart of the sea and though its waters roar and foam and though the mountains quake with their surging. This is important stuff right here, okay? Important to realize, the presence of trouble can be, can be enormous at times, and there is this God who says, my presence in those troubles will make it so that you can face whatever they are and however long they last. I'm in them. I want to correct something that I carried with me for a long time. It was a false belief that somehow if I walked well, if I lived my life according to the good book, troubles would somehow magically, it's like a, a that storm I talked about, they would just kind of and go around me. Um, I'm not sure where that idea came from. But the presence of troubles in this, in this life that we face is, is a well-established fact, even for Jesus' people. If you're, if you're young in the Lord um, and you've been told, come to Him and it's Disneyland daily, okay, Okay, I, I want to love you and tell you we'll be here when it's not Disneyland, when it's Oaks Park. <laughs> Something, I don't know. Anyway. Um, let's just say less than Disneyland, okay? Um, it... it um, Trouble, what I'm saying is trouble is not the exception. Trouble is the norm. It, and if you want to know where did this trouble thing show up, Genesis 3, been with us ever since. It's a bummer. And it'll go away one day. And so will the earth smoke. <laughs> right? Trouble isn't a surprise or something strange. It isn't. It's to be expected. Listen to these words from the Apostle Peter. He says this in his first of two letters, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. He says, dear friends, don't be surprised. Everybody show me a look of surprise right now. Ready? One, two, three. Okay, that's surprise. That storm's coming at me. Don't be surprised. Okay, 
That's how he starts, 1 Peter 4. He says, don't be surprised at the fiery trials. Okay, put on surprise now, but put it on with fiery trial coming at you. Ready? (laughs) Right? That's it. That's the right look. He says, don't be surprised at those things as if something strange were happening to you. I have done that. Like, why me? He goes on. Instead, be very glad that these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering. This sounds straight out of James. Pastor John's been talking, James 1. So that you will have wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed. That's how Peter finishes those words. The Apostle Paul was not left out. In Romans 8, verse 18, For I consider, he says, The sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory to be revealed to us. Romans 8.18. That's a keeper. That's the Apostle Paul who went through it. So I'm going to ask you what you're going through right now. It could be in all kinds of dressing, all kinds of clothes. Trials come our way. Financial trials a job trial, a, um, a health trial, of course. Um, I'm with a group of guys every Thursday, and we pray our hearts out, and the list is filled with people in pain. What a beautiful, not-to-be-missed experience every Thursday morning in my life. Join us, guys. Ladies, it's on Wednesday for you, okay? Check it out. We pray for people in pain. This psalm is saying, you will find God amidst troubles. So take God's hand as it's offered to you as you face those troubles. Um, What kind of God does this? Only one, according to Moses. Listen to his words. This comes Deuteronomy 4, 7. What other nation is so great as to have a God, have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him? Answer, only one. Yeah, it's true. Um, I want to talk about one more thing here and then I'll wrap it up. Something that happens when trouble finds you and it's, kind of hidden a little bit, at least it's been to me in verse 2. He's talking about ever-present troubles, right, and his presence in those troubles. But notice he says, therefore we will not fear. Trouble, by its very nature, evokes fear. You've had those moments when you went, what if God doesn't show up? What, what if this doesn't get better? Um, what if my faith falters? Those are fears. I, I think his answer is uh, keep your eyes on the one that's bigger than any problem. Because you and I, we tend to measure our problems by, you know, smaller is better, right? And our faith, bigger is better. But 
this passage is taking our attention and focusing it on him and saying, no, 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 God is greater. God is bigger. And he is present in any of these times that you are not capable of handling. I've had three moments in my four decades of ministry where I was absolutely um, in a personal crisis that was way too big for me. The first happened when we had a miscarriage after many, many years of infertility. The second happened when our kindergarten daughter faced heart surgery. And the third has, is, is, the, is the problem that's, that, that we're in now. Debbie being diagnosed with acute myeloid leukemia. And each time I've heard the same advice. I've heard people say to me, you are our pastor. You've been with us in a myriad of troubles that we've walked through. And we're going to be that for you. And I've had people say to me, now and in those other two crises, you know something, Pastor? You get, to be, you get to be a husband right now. You get to be a dad. You get to be a hurting human. And we will come alongside and care for you. And you've done that beautifully. You've done that incredibly well. When people say to us, and they've said to you if you've been part of Grace Point in a crisis, they say, whatever you need, Whatever you need, we're here for you. They mean it. They mean things like prayer and food and gardening. They, they, mean, they mean things like house cleaning and, and counsel that I thought was ridiculous until I got it. The counsel was simply, hey, Pastor, Steve, what are you doing? Stop what you're doing drink a tall glass of water, and eat some food now. <laughs> I thought, that's ridiculous, until I realized I had not eaten in a day and a half. I was just a mess. He's here right now, and he's willing to say that anytime he senses I need it. That's the kind of love going on here. It's the kind of love that comes from neighbors. We have We've been in the same house for 28 years, and we have neighbors walking by, and they're getting our mail. They're fighting over who gets to get the mail, you know, kind of thing. It's, and then, and then they, they, they water plants outside. And I had some uh, swing by, and, and they've become friends now, and they said, we'd love to deadhead your flowers. I'm not kidding you. I said, what is deadheading flowers? <laughs> well, I, I have a daughter that's a flight attendant, and they use that word for, you know, uh, flight attendants. You have to deadhead to this city and fly. I'm like, for real? What's deadheading flowers? <laughs> and she says, I'll take care of it. Okay, I'll take care of it. <laughs> you know what? They're, they're uh, big red ones. I'm not sure. Ger Geronimo. Geranium. Geraniums. Geraniums. They're geraniums. And you know what? <laughs> They're the best in the neighborhood. She came and started pinching, and I'm like, oh, you're going to kill those suckers if you keep that up. <laughs> no, no, no. It's pruning, isn't it? 
I want you to say pruning, okay? <laughs> I want to leave you with one more. Some of you saw this on Caring Bridge. Uh, my three amigos. I um, discipled these guys. Some of them were on my staff from years ago. We've been dear friends for 40 years. Long time. And um, they called and said, we're coming from, they live in Southern Cal. We're coming to Portland to be with you. And um, even if all we get to do is park in front of your house and pray, we're going to do that. And we have no agenda except whatever you need. And uh, it turned into three days of soul food. We laughed. We cried. We showed up outside Debbie's hospital room. She's on the fourth floor, and we were in the parking lot early in the morning making an absolute scene, <laughs> waving wildly at Debbie. And uh, we had our phone out, and we held up the phone, and one of these they all walked so closely with Jesus, but one said, I want to pray. And he prayed for five or ten minutes. And nurses are showing up for their shift. They're looking at us going, they're trying to take it all in and go, you get, you guys all right? And I'm like, shh, shh, You know, and we're praying. And, and this went on in beautiful ways. I need to leave you with one more, and we're going to sing. Um. Three days after Debbie was admitted to the hospital, Grace Point had a meeting. And they invited me, if I was able to, to join. And the wor these words came from the leadership of our church. I just want you to know this. They said, Pastor, effective immediately, your plate has been emptied. There's nothing on your plate. And the only one that gets to put something back on your plate is you. And they set me free then to really love Debbie and be with Debbie and, uh, and suffer with Debbie. And, and, they, and, and you know what? Yeah, they didn't just close the building. They said, now we got ministry to do. Let's get after it. And we've been doing that. And I want to thank the leaders. I want to thank you all. It's, um, thank you. Can I just leave you with one more? And you, and you know this to be true. If you've known anybody in, in um, fighting cancer. Um, there's some very beautiful people who have sent scarves and caps. And uh, some ha hats to help my Debbie cope <coughs> with chemo's impact. All of this and much more says 1 Corinthians 12, 26 is true. When one suffers in the family of God, all of us suffer together. It's true here. I'd like you to bow your heads, with, would you, for a moment with me as the worship team gathers with me. I want to ask you the question Trevor asked me to get my thoughts started. How you holding up? I don't have to ask you if you got troubles. Because if there, this might be that day you don't, they'll be back. 
How are you holding up? You'll hold up better if you have help. And uh, that help comes in a myriad of ways, some of which I've captured this morning. Many of you could take the microphone right now and tell of beautiful things God has done and helped you with. I want to pray right now. I want to pray for you if you're a hurting person. And um, that's how I want to do it. If you're hurting here today, trouble has come into your life, or you know somebody, you're related to somebody, you're married to somebody, you're best friends with somebody, you're roommates with somebody, and they are hurting. I'm going to ask you to stand right now and join me as I lead in prayer. Would you do that? Would you stand and say, I'm hurting and I need, I want to I be well, and I know it will take help. I need help. And that, there are thousands that have done this for us, and I want to be one of those that does it for you. And that means I want to pray, Lord, because you are our ever-present help. You are abundantly available in times of need, in times of trouble. And this room's full of people that are either in trouble now or no people that are. And as an extension of their belief that you are the God who helps, that your grace is sufficient in this moment. I pray that that they would leave here with less load because they've given it to you. They've placed it again at your feet. They may have it again on their lap by nightfall, but cause them to hand it to you. Cause them to give it to the God that makes beautiful things out of bad stuff, out of hard things. If you're praying that right now and you need prayer after this service, would you just stick around in this room? A whole bunch of us stood at this moment. Would the rest of you stand now and join us as we are led in a beautiful song about how God makes beautiful things out of hard stuff in our lives? We love you, Jesus. We love you.